0: Welcome to the Easy Scaling Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Shonda King, and together we'll be exploring how successful entrepreneurs are actually scaling to six figures and beyond. My goal is to bring you conversations that are honest and transparent and to share the real, raw, nitty-gritty details about what works and what doesn't. Hey, hey, welcome back to the podcast. Today, I want to talk about failure. And I've talked about failure a lot on the podcast. We've had a mini-series all about failure, where I had lots of really great conversations with other people about their failures and dove into some of mine as well. But Today, I want to highlight two very specific inflection points in my business and walk you through exactly what happened, why it was a failure, what I learned from it, and hopefully give you some insight too into what, like how my brain approaches things like this and how I think about failure generally. I think about it more as, I think about things like this, the, the, the examples I'm going to give you today. More as inflection points, more as like pivotal moments in my business, less as failures. I I don't think about them like that anymore. I used to. And so if you think about things in your business as failures, that's okay. (laughs) And obviously I can put those words to it, but I think reframing how you see these things, these inflection points in your business, whether they were failures or not, because I'm going to give you an example of of what I actually call an almost failure, they can be deeply deeply powerful in helping you get to the next level. Okay, so let's get into it. The first one I want to talk to you about was, on paper, a failure. So let's start there. So for context, I started my business around June or July of 2021. And I started with the intention of putting money into it to shortcut the growth period, because this was my third business. I had been doing this for almost a decade, running a business or, or you know, dabbling in entrepreneurship for o- almost a decade. And so I was like, I don't want to do it slowly. at a one-year-old. I was like, let's just go, right? So decided at the beginning to invest heavily in Facebook ads. It was about a 20K four-month retainer that I invested in. And I was committing to doing about $3,000 on top of that per month for the first four months. So I was committing to this four month process, and it was going to end up being whatever that is about 30K of an investment just for the first four months. And I had originally started looking for someone for this, for the Facebook ad strategy. To build a passive funnel for me because I thought I was like, oh, that's going to be passive. I've got this course that's like almost ready to go. Like the IP is there. I just need to like put it together. Easy peasy, build a funnel, sell a bunch of courses, <laughs> make a million dollars, right? Like what everyone wants to do. That is not what happened. And fortunately, that's not what happened in a good way. So I, I interviewed a bunch of people about funnels, about strategy, about ads. And This I ended up working with the ad girls and I've talked about them. I've interviewed Jen. She's the one of the co-founders of the ad girls. She's fantastic. She's been on the podcast and we talk about this in that episode. But she was like, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to build you a book, a call funnel for your high ticket service so that you can because I already had proof of concept for that. So she was like, we're going to get cash coming in so that then you can reinvest back into the ads. For this passive thing, because it's not tested, it's not validated, we don't know, you haven't even built the course, like, it's very unpredictable on whether or not that's going to sell. So it's just like, let's sell a bunch of the stuff that we already know, can sell, and then we'll use that money to put back in. Genius idea. So we started doing that. And for the first several months, that's what we did, July, August, September, we were just filling out my capacity for CO and team, which we did, like, quickly. And that then gave cash to reinvest back into the ads and into building the passive funnel because, and I think this is like important and I harp on this all the time, often we have no idea how much work goes into these things and we're like, oh, we'll just sell a course or we'll just pay someone to do it. But there's still so much time, energy and effort that goes into it for you to do, but also for the people you're paying to do. So these are big projects. And that was okay. I was okay with that. And so we built the course. We built out the ad strategy. I paid someone to write the copy. I paid someone to build the landing page. Like I, I put a ton of money into it. And then I invested about five thousand dollars in ads just for this passive funnel. We're like, let's do it. Let's test it. Let's see what happens. We it was like a, like a masterclass funnel, evergreen masterclass that then sold people into the course. Great. Uh, yeah, no, it didn't work. <laughs> It did not work at all. I mean, I sold some courses. Don't get me wrong. I think I ended up from that $5,000 ad spend, I ended up making about $3,000 back. And yeah, no, that obviously that math doesn't work. That's not good. That's not what you want. So we just, we turned it off. We turned it off and I moved on and went a different route in my business. And I still have that course. And what's crazy is it's a fantastic course. And my clients take it, right? It's there, which is great. And I think this is one of the things that you can use to reframe is, well, what came of that that wouldn't have come out of it that I've seen a ton of benefit from? One of my favorite things to reframe. And this course funnel in particular was massively pivotal in my business because since I invested all this time, energy, and effort into creating the content, I had a huge bank of assets. And I had this course and I had stuff already packaged as products so that a few months later, about six months later, I participated in a freebie bundle and was able to sign up for that pretty quickly because I already had a lot of the bones there. I could do a little bit of tweaking to create a freebie tripwire funnel, which is also a topic for another day. That ended up getting me thousands of leads and several sales and several high ticket clients. So so worth it. So worth it. And it created the bones too of a future funnel that I did that and that brought me over 10,000 leads to my email list and again, thousands of dollars. So none of that would have happened the way that it happened had I not built this shitty <laughs> funnel that didn't convert, okay? It did convert, not well enough to have ads running. So that's one thing to look at. The other thing that, that I think is really, really important is that it's made very clear for me a couple of other things. One is that I didn't get the messaging right. And so I outsourced my copy and I thought I had an idea of what the play was on the messaging, like what the frame, what the positioning was on why people should get this course. And so we built everything around that. Turns out it was massively flawed, massively flawed. And this is why it's so important to have someone helping you with some of these things that's outside of you to be able to say that could be perceived this way, which you probably didn't think of because you're in it. I was so deep in it and I just outsourced the copy and we rolled with it. And no one ever stopped to question wait a minute, we've got a breakdown in the logic here. And to get specific about what that was, I was selling, there's a couple breakdowns actually, which is funny. I was selling a course all about group programs, how to create, launch, fill your group program. And I had run this live as a group program many times and I didn't want to run it live as a group program anymore. So I wanted to sell it as a course and give people all of the information. Great. There's a little bit of a breakdown there because you're trying to convince people to buy something that's not the actual format that you're telling them to go create. And that maybe would be okay, except that the big problem was that I was compounding that that disconnect by using messaging around how courses don't work. (laughs) So I'm trying to sell a course with part of my core messaging being about how courses suck. That's not going to work. That's not going to work. That's pretty clear now, was not clear in the moment. And so that was a fantastic learning lesson because now I always get extra sets of eyes on everything that I do. And there's usually multiple iterations of messaging and copy before it sees the light of day (laughs) because there's so many things that can break down with your messaging. So that's another learning. The other thing that, that was interesting to learn from this is that there's nothing wrong with me having just went all, like, there's nothing wrong with me having gone all in on this funnel and paid for the test. That, that's totally okay, because this, this could have gone another way. My approach at the time and like my priority was shortcutting the time process. I didn't want to test this organically. I didn't have time. I didn't want to do it. I just wanted the data. I wanted to know, is this funnel going to work? And so a great way to do that is to test it with ads. If you don't have an audience and I did not have an audience, I didn't have an audience big enough to test this organically with at the time. And so I had money. I didn't have time is how I was approaching things in my business. And so I think that's okay. Now I'm in a different place where I don't have to necessarily do that. I can test things organically because I have a much bigger audience, you know? So that was an important learning for me. And it's something that I tell my clients too. It's like, what are your assets here? What are the priorities? And then what do we want to do? Like, if we have time, but not money, well, then we have to do things in a particular way, unless, you know, if the situation's different and we have, money and not time. Or if we, if we have both, then it's just more of a personal preference, right? So critical for me to learn that as well. So there you go. My first massive failure in this business, or at least that's what it felt like. Let's talk about the other failure, as I'm calling it, almost failure, because it wasn't actually a failure. It just had all the potential to be a failure. And I, of course, only know that now looking back. Hindsight is 2020 and all of that. But it it has had such an impact on me. And it's something that I am on the lookout for now that I know what I know. It is like the definition of an inflection point. And I feel like this happens a lot in business. It's happened since then many times. I see it happening for my clients all of the time, these inflection points that could be failures or not. And how we deal with them is what creates the business that we have. So let me take you back to when this first started. This is the background context that you'll need to, and I'll work up to the actual inflection point. But what I did is after I had a course failure, later on after that, I was just doing my CO and team, my one-on-one high ticket services, and I wanted to add a more scalable offer. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to add a mastermind. I've run masterminds before. I've run many masterminds before. I've run it I've run in group, in person and virtual group programs before. That was my thing. I had a lot of background in it. So, a mastermind was an obvious choice for me to stack on, especially after <laughs> the disappointment of the course. So, rolled up this mastermind. And I actually sold a spot very quickly and what i was finding was i was actually kind of not excited about the fact that i had sold a spot and so this is important and i've talked about this before on the podcast many times of like really getting in touch with how you're feeling about things and differentiating between different feelings that like fear is is a different feeling than a no right like having fear or having doubt is a, a different like bodily sensation, at least for me, than the feeling of, oh man, I really just don't actually want to do that. And so I was having some, some what I thought was fear around the launch of this mastermind. Put it out there, had one person sign up, still had the feeling, and actually it was kind of worse. I was like, oh, okay, I'm not actually scared. I'm not worried. I'm not fearful. I'm not doubting myself. I actually just don't want to do this. And that was an important realization that I carried through with me all of the time and and how I kind of assess whether or not I do things or whether or not I take a client on or those types of things. And so I canceled the launch of the mastermind, refunded the gal who had signed up. I refunded her money and then... Tried to pinpoint, okay, well, why did I not want to do it? And it turns out I didn't want to do it because it was bad timing. It was purely just bad timing. I played it out and I was just, I was stressed about actually delivering the program. And this is key. I see people do this all the time. You you launch something, you put it out there, it doesn't sell or it doesn't sell well. And then you cancel it and then you're kind of relieved. And almost 100% of the time, not every time, but almost every time, it's because you didn't actually want to deliver that program for some reason. For me, it was because I was going to be on maternity leave in the middle of the program. Like, duh, that doesn't make any sense. You know, so I was very stressed about that. Not sure I was how I was going to handle it. It was too much for it was too much stress for me to actually want to do it. So canceled it. Fantastic. Felt felt better. Moved on. I ended up actually launching a miniature group program that was just eight weeks that was going to end before my maternity leave started. That program sold out. Fantastic. That's all background context, also good learnings from that, but I wouldn't call that a failure. When I move through to the next iteration of the mastermind, because I still wanted to do a mastermind. And so I was getting ready to go on maternity leave. I was eight months pregnant. I was like, man, I just I can't shake this idea of this mastermind. And I really want to do it. And I had kind of this epiphany of, oh, well, I want to do it differently. I actually want it to be different than anything that's that's out there, which is. How I kind of like to approach all of my offers, and it, that was missing from that when I had originally originally launched it, and so that's another thing that became clear to me afterwards is like I wasn't excited to sell it either because it just didn't feel it didn't feel different enough, it didn't feel exciting for me to to sell it. It didn't feel easy to sell. so totally revamped the offer, added a done for you component to the mastermind, and then I was like super stoked to sell it. And so I decided to do actually a two-month launch with my maternity leave falling in the middle of it, which is very, I would say, not conventional. And so in about March, mid-March, I had grown my email list at that point. I had a good audience. I started talking about this mastermind. I created a wait list. I was kind of doing pre-launch stuff. And I actually had someone sign up off of the, the pre-launch, off of the wait list. And I was like, oh, fantastic. I was really excited. But then I started to freak out because like, oh my gosh, I have one person signed up. Can't run a mastermind with one person. Very common thought, very common fearful thought for people to have when they're launching anything that's group-based. And I was getting closer to my baby being due and my maternity leave. And I was planning to launch this thing in June. And so this was in March, not launch it in June, kick it off in June. And I launched the wait list in March. So put it out there, had one person sign up, started to freak out. And I was in a mastermind at the time. So I was in a mastermind at the time, like I was participating in a mastermind to get support for myself. And I had just had this one person sign up and I had, I had actually had someone on my team write a launch email sequence for this. And I was putting out some social content, but I was prepping for my maternity leave and kind of like starting to freak out a little bit about filling this thing, even though I had plenty of time after I got back from maternity leave to keep launching, which was my plan. And I was like, man, I don't know, maybe I should just cancel it. So I went to one of these mastermind calls that I was in And I was like, I just don't know. Like, I've only had one person buy. It's been, you know, several weeks. I had a decent sized wait list. No one else has bought. Maybe I should just cancel it. And I remember her saying, and it was like, it's such a vivid memory. It's like one of those things that just legitimately changes your life and your approach to everything. I remember her saying, "Mm, I think you just need to sell more. (laughs) I think You need to sell more is all she told me. And I was like, oh okay. She's like, just go, you know, share testimonials, talk about it. You're excited about it. Like, just lean into that. Go do it. Go sell. That's all you need to do is go sell. And so I had this email sequence that someone on my team had written for me. It was like seven emails that was going to promote the the program over, you know, several weeks while I was on maternity leave. I spent the next few weeks while I'm, I'm massively pregnant, but I like went all in on this mastermind. All in. And I created just an outrageous amount of content. I batch recorded 40 reels or so. I created a ton of social media content. I wrote, I think it's almost 30 emails. So on so like took the the sequence that the, the gal on my team had written. I totally like changed it, took those emails, reworked them and wrote dozens of other emails to go out and i just blasted my list and my audience and my social media accounts everything with content about my expertise about what i did with my clients about this program about everything it's i just went all in and i went on i had a baby i i, I didn't like put all of this out at one time obviously i created it at all at, all at one time cuz i had to go on maternity leave And had a baby, went on maternity leave for a month, started easing back into things in late May. And that is like this content had been trickling out. And when I started easing back into things, then I really hit the sales content hard and started having DM conversations with people. And I sold five more spots into the mastermind. And then June rolled around and and the program was kicking off mid-June and I sold one more spot. So I actually ended up with about a 70K launch. I had seven women opt into this mastermind, this program. And the reason why this is so critical, I feel like for me to share this almost failure is that it worked. It wasn't a failure. But I could have very easily given up because I had only sold one spot and I had a big life event coming. Launching is no joke. But I didn't. And that one little tiny tidbit of advice that you just need to sell more, I find myself telling my clients that often because this is like stereotypical launch jitters. This is the shitty part of any launch. You're going to have some point in your launch when you're putting out something new into the world, this can happen before you ever announce it. It can happen right after you've announced it. It, There's so many different points in time in a launch where you can get this feeling where you're like, this isn't going to work. What the hell was I doing? What was I thinking? I need to cancel this. No one's going to buy. Like those types of thoughts are so typical in a launch at some point. I, I don't know if I know anyone who hasn't had that experience. The hard part is like, I don't know, you know in, I don't know any other way to say it other than like, you got to keep the faith, right? <laughs> like, you just have to seriously believe that, that it's going to work. And what I think is really interesting is that this is contrasted with the exact same experience that I had had months before when I did decide to cancel it for a good legitimate reason. And that's why it's so imperative to be able to differentiate between this isn't actually a good idea, this is bad timing, or there's something wrong with this offer, or some kind of legitimate reason not to do it, some legitimate reason to cancel it, versus I'm just terrified that this thing isn't going to sell. And I actually remember writing a piece of content, this was like kind of what got me going, was I had a conversation with my coach at the, at the time where I was like, okay, well, what is the worst case scenario here? Like, what's the worst thing that could happen if I go all in? The worst thing that could happen is that I have a bruised ego at the end of this full launch. I have this baby, I come back, I go all in, I put out all this content, I sell, 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 and I don't fill it. And then I have to refund her the money. And I am just like embarrassed. That's the absolute worst thing that could have happened. And I decided in the moment, I was like, actually really not that bad like eh, that would like not feel good but in terms of worst case scenarios that's not a bad worst case scenario i can just like i think i probably just told myself to suck it up i shouldn't make decisions based off of the fact that i could potentially embarrass myself if it doesn't work out like that's not a reason not to do something so i did it it worked out and now it's even crazier is this is a huge component of my business. This mastermind, what it's evolved into, this program just by itself does multiple six figures per year in my business. And it's a core foundation of our recurring revenue and our clients and our credibility and the results that we create. And it's so, so foundational to what we've built. And I almost didn't do it. I almost canceled the launch. To something that now generates multiple six figures by itself pretty much on autopilot by the way that's crazy to me so that's why i like to call it my almost failure what i also think is important is that you can hear me talk about this and it could potentially inspire you to do something differently but until you actually are faced with one of these pivotal decisions and make the right or the wrong decision and then like see it in real time and learn from it like it's it's hard to even grasp how impactful it can be and i think you actually have to do it like you have to fully play it out i think just generally looking at these business decisions and these like so-called failures or almost failures as inflection points and trying to pull what are those like tangible things that you can apply on an ongoing basis. I hope this is helpful. I hope you learned something from my failures and my almost failures. I'm happy to share more of these. There's many of them. This is part of what growing and scaling a business looks like is constantly experiencing new pivotal moments, new inflection points, new challenges, new problems, and also lean on people because like... (laughs) I don't know if you noticed, but in that story, there was two people that helped me through that almost failure. The mastermind, the gal whose mastermind I was in, and then also my coach, Julia, that I I wouldn't have made those decisions without their help. So that's another thing, too. You can't do this stuff in a vacuum. That's why getting support from other people is so important, whether that's a friend or a peer or in a mastermind or with a coach or with a consultant or whoever it is your husband my husband is is a very critical thought partner in my business so get support and get excited to fail see you next time thanks for listening to another episode of the easy scaling podcast If you enjoyed what you heard, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. And if you send me a screenshot of that review, I will send you my 90-day planning formula. This is the same process that I use with all of my multiple six-figure clients to help them get organized, be more efficient, and scale faster.